0: The following lecture was delivered at the 12th Annual National Jewish Retreat in Palm Desert, California, a project of the Roar Jewish Learning Institute. We hope you enjoy the lecture, and we encourage you to visit jretreat.com for information on upcoming retreats. Rabbi David Aaron will now present his lecture, The Soul and the Afterdeath. number of years ago, I was uh, in a supermarket in New York City. I'm not from New York City. I'm from a small town called Toronto, Canada. And I walked into this um, supermarket, and there was a fellow walks in, and he's, he's drunk or he's high or something. And he starts screaming, I'm going to kill myself. I'm going to kill myself. Sounds pretty scary for the people outside in the lobby hearing Rabbi Yarn say that. Anyway, so this guy's screaming, I'm gonna kill myself, I'm gonna kill myself. I don't know what to do. Manager calls the police. A policeman comes very quickly and he tries to engage this guy in discussion. And the guy's screaming, I'm gonna kill myself. So, so the policeman sweetly says, Why? And he's shocked. Like nobody's talked to this guy. And so he thinks and he says, Well, because my mama hates me and my Papa hates me, and quite frankly, I hate me. So I'm going to kill myself. So the policeman says, but what do you hope to accomplish if you kill yourself? And again, the guy's drunk, and he's thinking about it. He says, well, uh, because when I kill myself, I'm going to be happy. Yeah, I'm going to be real happy when I kill myself. So the policeman says, but listen to what you're saying. If you kill yourself, you're going to be dead. And the guy said, huh? So said, yeah. And if you're dead, how will you know you're happy? You're dead. And the guy said, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. You mean if I kill myself, I'm going to be dead? And the policeman says, that's right. And if I'm dead, how will I know I'm happy? I'm dead. And the policeman said, that's right. And the guy went, oh man, I can't even kill myself and be happy. Now, who does he think was going to survive his suicide? So I want to tell you some good news from the Jews. Right? If you came here to hear about death in the afterlife, well, I just want you to know that that's a mistitle, because nobody's going to die. You don't die. You're not going to die. So before we can talk about what happens when people look like they die, let's first talk about actually who really are you and where are you heading to. So I want to be very, very clear. I am never going to die. Now don't get me wrong. Rabbi David Aaron is going to die. I hope to play Rabbi David Aaron, till 120 in good health. Say amen. Thank you. But Rabbi David Aaron is going to die. But I am a soul. And souls don't die. See, you are a soul. And you are like an actor playing a character. And imagine an actor gets a part in a film. And he's so excited. He really wanted that part. And he's going through the script, and he sees that in scene seven, he dies. He freaks out. I don't want to die. I don't want to die. I mean, I want to play more film. I want to do more more acting. I don't want to die, right? So he runs to the director, and he says, I don't want to die. And the director says, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, it says in scene seven that I die. And the director says, you don't die. The character dies. But you go on, get an Oscar, play another film. So this is a whole paradigm shift in who really are you, right? Who really are you? Perhaps some of you recall when you were a child, did any of you ever wonder who would I have been if my mother would have married another man? Anybody here think about that? Right? What do you mean, who would you have been if your mother would have married another man? You wouldn't have been. No, I would have been. I just would have been in a taller body with different colored hair, maybe speaking a different language. But I would have been. That's amazing. I thought that question when I was a child, you know, because I'm the only kid in my family that has red hair. And I didn't understand that. And I asked my mother, why do I have red hair? It wasn't fun growing up with red hair. You know, people call you carrot top. and My only response to that is, the tops of carrots are green. You know? (laughs) And so I asked my mother, why do I have red hair? My mother said that your father, when he was a child, had red hair. My father had black hair, right? How did red turn black, right? Right now it's turning pink, right? But it isn't turning black. So I thought I was adopted. And the only reason I was pretty sure I wasn't adopted is I knew my parents wouldn't pay that kind of money on me. (laughs) But other than that, who really are you? Before we talk about dying, who who is the you that thinks you're going to die? So I want you to understand, you are a soul. Now what's complicated about this is when I say you are a soul, I say, oh, me, David, I'm a soul. Oh, me, Sarah, I'm a soul. No, no, not Sarah is a soul. David Aaron is not a soul. David Aaron is a character that I play in this life, right? And I'm very, very specific in this life because I don't know what character I played if I did play a character in a previous life. But right now, I'm playing a short, red-headed rabbi, right? That's the character I'm playing. So when I say you are a soul, don't let your ego intercept and say, hey, I'm a soul. No, no, no. When I say you're a soul, you that I'm talking to right now, the you that considered possibly being born another person, how many people in this room can honestly say that you are not the same person you were five years ago? Say I. How can you not be the same person you were five years ago? Because the person that you played, the character that you played five years ago, very likely has transitioned, maybe even died. In fact, we've all died a good few times already. Are you the same kid you were when you were five? Are you the same person that you were when you were 18? No. So the truth is this death, thing is a big illusion because you've already died a number of times. You know, a number of months ago I found a notebook in my closet. I didn't recognize the handwriting, I didn't recognize the content, right? And it was my notebook, it was my handwriting for two days ago, I'm just joking, right? (laughs) So the truth is, you as a character have died already multiple times. And that's okay to die. That's how sometimes you grow. Seeds die to become saplings. Saplings die to become trees. If you really want to live, you have to learn how to die. And let go. I'm not playing that same character anymore. Right? I'm not, I, I'm, I'm a soul. I'm a soul. So this, the true self, the essential self, Is a soul. And what is a soul? A soul is a spark of, a ray of, a facet of, kind of hard to describe, right? A piece of, but of course God doesn't break down into pieces. I'd rather use the word array of God, right? Right. And every single one of you is a ray of eternity, and you sense that. So that's the first thing I want you to understand. You are a soul A soul is a ray of God and you. But again, don't intercept. Don't let your ego get in the way. Oh, Mary, Harry, Jerry isn't going to die. No, as I mentioned, David Aaron is going to die. But I ain't going anywhere. And I'll be back at the next next retreat because I love the food. (laughs) I know, (laughs) right? But what are you going to die to? So what does it mean to die if the soul is eternal? If you are eternal, then what does it mean to die? What happens when we see something called death? And I witnessed the death of my mother. And I can honestly tell you, my mother did not die. My mother gave birth to her soul out of her body. I saw it. She was literally, I saw birth pains I saw her breathing and her, she just released herself out of her body and out of that character that she played, which was not an easy character to play. She played the character of a survivor, right? Of someone from the camps, right? But we all come in this world and we've been handed a script But you are like an actor and don't get lost in your part, right? Don't become your ego, don't become your part. Be your part, play your part, but don't get lost and start thinking, that's who I am, your soul. So now what happens when a person births, right? What happens? So there's a story about a fellow who had lost his son, understandably devastated, and he went to Rav Aryeh Levine, Zikron of Racha, one of the great Sadiqim, one of the great, great righteous rabbis of our generation, And no one can console this man. And Rabbi Arlene Levine said to him, you know, when a baby is born, the baby's crying, but the parents are saying mazel tov. So when your son left this world, we're crying, but the angels are saying mazel tov. Because death is a birth into a new world, a new consciousness. And I want to explain what that is. So the first thing is to understand what this world is before we understand what it means to transition into the next world. So the first thing I want you to understand, and this might freak some people out, so you'll have the whole year to think about it and hopefully we'll see each other next, you know, JLI. The truth is that this world is a perception, it's not an illusion, it's a perception, this room is a perception. Although you experience yourself in this room, the truth is this room is in you, right? Because the only room you know is the room that you know in your mind. But the truth is that this is basically a virtual room and I'll prove it to you. If I could put into everyone's eyeballs microscopic viewing Let's say suddenly I put glasses on everybody and you are now able to see in a microscopic way. Would you be in this room? No, you'd be in a quantum world. So I just proved to you this world is a perception. If you were to change your mind, you would change your find, Because the world as it is perceived by you is partially being created by you. Now don't get me wrong. There is an objective reality, but you are not seeing the objective reality. You are encountering the objective reality and translating it into your subjective perception, right? So let's say somebody's in this room and they are colorblind. So they live in a colorless world, right? And we live in a colorful world, but which one is real? We can't really know for sure. Right now, basically, there is raw objective data that is going into our eyes, into our ears. We're tasting it. We are touching it. And our brains are organizing all that data into the world that we're perceiving right now. Are you following that? Right. That's what's going on right now. So the room that you perceive outside of yourself is really inside of yourself and you are creating that room it's a co-creation between your encounter with objective reality i.e. God who is objective reality and your subjective interpretation and translation of this raw data into this picture and if we were to alter your mind you would be in a different world this is amazing Some explain that this is what's happening with what they thought were hallucinative drugs. Some claim now in research that hallucinative drugs are not hallucinative, but rather our brains is generating a chemical that is filtering out a lot of data. You follow that, right? And so when people take those drugs, it actually gets the brain to diminish the chemical that's filtering out the data, and they go into a different world, world perception. So this isn't a world, this is actually a world perception. And according to Kabbalah, there are basically four worlds. All right, all right, four worlds. What I have here is the lowest world is referred to as the world of action. But if we were to alter our state of mind and our capacity to to organize the raw data differently, we would go into a new world called the world of creation. And if we were able to reorganize the material and get less filter blocking out the data of objective reality, we could go into the next world. right? According to Kabbalah, the world of atzilut, which is the highest world, is objective reality. And the lower worlds are referred to as our subjective perception of objective reality. In fact, what Kabbalah is saying is something that Um, uh, Immanuel Kant had presented. He said do we see reality as it is or do we see reality as it's perceived by us? He called reality as it is noumena and reality as it's perceived by us phenomena and that is exactly not that terminology but that's exactly what the Kabbalah says. there's reality as it is and we call that God and that reality is not a what but a who right reality is a who and then our encounter with that great who that unity that oneness depending on who we are so what you see is a reflection of who you are and if you change who you are then what will be absorbed into your perceptual world will be a world of greater unity harmony harmony <laughs> health and har- harmony right connectivity right so what does it mean to die so there's a verse where moses says to god show me your face and god says no man can see my face and live the zohar the great kabbalistic text says no person will see my face and live but you will see my face when you die and that's the question. Will that be a wonderful experience or will that be hell to see God's face? And that's what we're here doing. We're preparing ourselves, right? But people think that hell is a place that you go and heaven is a place that you go, but that's as wrong as thinking this is a place. This is not a place. This is a perception based on your encounter with reality and how much of that reality you're absorbing and perceiving and organizing in the most objective way you subjectively can perceive it. But when you leave this body, and right now you're only perceiving with your eyes, your ears, your nose, you're kind of looking at reality through a couple of keyholes. You're like looking into the palace through a couple of keyholes. And what happens when they open up the door? Whoa! Do you get that? When a person leaves their body, which we've called death, but is actually just another form of birth, right? We call it kind of eternal sleep. It's actually waking up. Because our relationship to this world is like a dream, it's not a dream. But just as when you're in a dream, and you're moving, and you you might bang your your foot, and you you might be bleeding, right? Have you ever had a dream where you're kind of hoping, I I hope this is a dream? Have you ever been in that way, like, this is not good? Is this real? Is this a dream? And then you say, I got to get out of this, I got to, and then have you ever been in the in-between where you're kind of like starting to wake up, but you're still getting pulled back into the dream, and you're trying to really get out of the dream? That's what death is. Death is just waking up. Again, I don't want to call this a dream. But just as a dream is a perception, this is a perception. And you're going to move to a new perception. The question is, what will that new perception feel like? Will it feel like hell or will it feel like heaven? Well, it just depends. If your whole life was all about seeking the presence of God, recognizing and living a life that testified that we are one, And only one is real. And so why are we fighting? And why are we so selfish? Why are we in the world of disconnect, which is these three lower worlds, until we get to the world of atzilut, which is the most objective, subjective perception that we can have, which is the world of total, total connect. But if we have been living a life that's so about disconnect, and when we suddenly leave this body, and we realize that it's all one, and there's nothing but the one, there's none but the one, and we're all part of God, and we're all part of each other through God. Well, if you lived your life based on that premise, then when you see that, that is called heaven. That's Gan Eden. That is bliss. It will be confirmed that the way you lived your life, and that you have to stand, our bodies, we're not against bodies. We are not antibodies, right? But our bodies do give up a problematic vibe. I spoke about how Shabbat is about bringing ourselves also to our bodies because our bodies are very now conscious and that's good. But there's something about our bodies that isn't good. right? And that's that our bodies are giving off this vibe that we are set apart from each other. That we're not connected to each other. That we have to save our skin. Because I'm in here and you're in there. And we are separate. And that's where the body's lying to us. We are not separate. I am just talking to myself right now. And you are just listening to yourself right now. Because we are all connected. Again, I'm not you, you're not me, right? And you should be very happy about that, right? But like a left hand and a right hand, they're connected, they're not the same, right? And so too, our bodies are suggesting, and that's why it says that when Adam and Eve made that fatal mistake and ate from the tree of knowledge of good and bad, they fell into a body. Before, their bodies were made of light. They could come to this retreat and eat as much as they want, right? It was all light, you know? But we're made of skin. So our sages tell us the word light, or, with an aleph, fell into or, with an ayin, which means skin. From light to skin. And now I'm saving my skin. But what happens when you leave your skin? When you drop your skin? When you drop your body perception? You're going to encounter reality, God, in the most direct way. Right now it's being filtered. God's total truth is being filtered from us. But when that truth is open up and we take off the shades, the sunglasses that are blocking out the presence, for those of us that were selfish, that spoke gossip, and only cared about having more and having more and having more rather than being more and sharing more but holding on to more well that's going to be an incredibly painful
1: experience
0: and for those of us that our whole sense of self was our body was our money was our cars and our fame wow is that going to be painful when you realize that's not your identity that's not your true self but those people that their identity was based on sharing and loving and helping, well, then they'll they'll drop their body and, and, and reality will just confirm that truth. Do you follow that? So our sages tell us that the evil people, they leave this world like cotton being pulled out of a thorn bush. They can't let go. Their whole sense of self is so invested in this world, in their money, and all their fame, their Facebook, their whatever. And they can't let go because they're literally afraid that they are going to die. Rather, they're about to be born on an even greater level. And so it's a terrible experience for those people to leave their body. They don't want to leave their body. But the righteous people, our sages tell us, leaves the body like like hair being pulled out of cream. It's a smooth transition. Just smoothly out of here. And so what happens when you drop that body and you get this unfiltered encounter with God? So those of us that were prepared, we're in heaven. And we are confirmed. Confirmed. That's an incredibly joyous experience because right now a lot of this has been a little bit on faith. You know, we don't always see God in our lives. There's lots of challenges for us and opportunities for us to deny whether there's God in our lives. But if we affirm our faith and we live a life based on God is one and we are one with God and one with each other through God. And we demonstrate that commitment and we live a life based on that principle. Of Shema Yisrael, Shemelo Keno, God is one. Well, so then it's heaven. For other people, it's hell. But these are not places. These are perceptions. These are reactions. All right? So a lot of people confuse Gan Eden with Olam Haba. People think that when you die, you go to Olam Haba, to the world to come. Well, actually, technically, Olam Haba is a stage in history, okay, that comes after the revival of the dead. It's a stage in history where we will completely realize that there was nothing but God and of course what does that mean? Well then who were we, right? We were a part of God but again we weren't God. Gan however is a state of mind, a perception we are now able to really enjoy all those mitzvahs. All those good things you did. And all those responses to the directive and the request of God from you. You don't always get that feeling, right? You know, I'll be, I'll be honest, you know. When I have a good breakfast, I get a buzz. When I put on my tefillin, I don't get the same visceral experience. Right? That's because my body's intercepting it, right? But what happens, you know, you do a mitzvah, you give tzedakah, you feel good, right? But sometimes you feel better eating a pizza. And you know, you convince yourself, no, it's good, I'm doing tzedakah, I'm giving charity. But you don't get that same visceral buzz as you do with the physical pleasures of this world. But when you leave this body and you encounter reality without the filter and you meet, so to speak, God in Gan Eden, in this mindset, this perception of the Garden of Eden, all those mir- all those mitzvahs are just gonna—it's gonna be the most incredible, ecstatic pleasure that you were real with yourself, that you were living your connection to God, and you were in touch with reality because God is reality and infinitely more. And that's one of the things that's really amazing about Chabad, I want to tell you. A number of years ago, a fellow came to talk to me about outreach. He'd been hired to do research on outreach, and he was, he was interviewing all the different outreach organizations. You know, how do you do it? What are your goals? What are your successes? You know, what's your orientation? And this guy told me something amazing. He said, all the other outreach organizations, well, that's they say all. I don't know all. I don't think he met all. But he said, so far, the ones I met, their goal in outreach is to make people orthodox. Right? And Chabad is extraordinary. Chabad is not trying to get you to be religious, but Chabad is trying to get you to do one mitzvah. Just do one mitzvah. Do another mitzvah. Right? And he said, that's because they have this mystical belief. When you see Chabadniks on the street and they're putting, wrapping tefillin on people, I used to think that that was because. You know, they were hoping that maybe some guy would have this ecstatic moment and he'd say, hallelujah, and, uh, and suddenly become religious. I thought that's what they were doing. He said, that's not at all what they're doing. They know that they're going to put fill in on this guy. They never, might never see this guy again. They're not expecting this guy to have some amazing awakening and suddenly, you know, start chuckling and eating cholent or something. I don't know, right? They don't expect that. It was worth it for that one mitzvah. And, oh, is he going to love that when he leaves this world. Just that one mitzvah. Don't think in terms of, am I religious? Am I more religious? Am I becoming religious? No, just do another mitzvah. Tzedakah, tefillin. Oh, I'm not keeping all of Shabbat. You know, I keep one hour of Shabbat. Don't turn on lights for one hour already. That's something. It lets a little bit more reality into your soul. When the block comes down, the sunscreen comes down, and you meet the light of God, wow. You'll say, oh my gosh, thanks to that guy who put those fill in, thanks to that Rebbinson who gave me those Shabbos candles, and I only lit them once, but they kept me lit for eternity. It's amazing. So what happens when you die? You don't. You birth. You leave this body. You encounter reality more as reality truly is. You meet God. And depending how ready you were for that will determine whether you find yourself in Gehenna. And what is Gehenna? What is hell? Not like certain other people think that you have this eternal damnation. And this is God punishing you. That is not at all the Jewish perception. Gehennem is a transition because you weren't ready for this light and it's so painful. Because you didn't prepare yourself for the light and open, suddenly the shades were open and the sun just hit your eyes and it, and it takes adjusting. And it won't take more than a number of months. But you're not there forever. You're there to get to Gan Eden. So this is how it works. You can either go straight to Gan Eden... Whereby you are completely capable of receiving the truth and celebrating it and experiencing that truth that God is one and there's none but that one and you are one with God and one with everyone through God. Or, wow, it blows you away. You're embarrassed. The fire of Gehenna is in your face. You're so embarrassed that you betrayed yourself, that you went after things that were not valuable that was what was worth wanting you didn't want and what you wanted wasn't worth wanting and you know all those commercials control your life telling you that if you have this and you have that and you do this you're gonna have all, you'll, you'll have heaven. But in our tradition Gehennem is a transition into gun Eden and we're all heading to gun Eden. Sooner or later We're going to be in a state of mind that is capable of feeling that presence, that loving presence of Hashem, permeating every single fiber of our beings. And that's just going to be ecstasy. And there's some people that can feel it already. There are some people that are on that level to already feel that connection. But then there's something else that is actually a lot more scary. Gehenna is actually pretty good. To get into Gehenna and know, okay, I'm on my way. I'm taking a little detour, you know? A few months, hopefully not too much time. I'm detouring into Ghanedin. But there's something really horrible. What? And that is that you can't get out of this world. You're so invested in this world. Your identity is so into your money and your fame and your house and your car and you're so invested in this physical world that you just can't let go. And what happens to those people? They become a soul without a body and it's excruciating pain. I'm not in this world because I don't have a body. I'm not out of this world because I'm still stuck in this world. And what do these souls do? They try to find a body to inhabit. And that's called a Dibbuk. A dibuk, whereby you could be, God forbid, possessed by a soul that's trapped in this world. And either they're trying to get into your body because they just want to stay in this world, or they finally realize that I got to do some mitzvah, something to release me from this world. And there's a very famous historical case a good few years ago in Israel, not so long ago, maybe 20 years ago. There was a woman in Beersheba that would suddenly fall down, faint, and a male voice would come out of her mouth. Everybody was talking about it. It was on the secular Israeli news. People couldn't deny this. This woman would just suddenly faint, and a male voice would start talking out of her. And they brought her to some of the greatest Kabbalists in Israel. And they said, now, you still have an hour after this class before lunch, so you'll be able to digest this, right? What did they say? It's her husband bad enough living with the guy (laughs) now he's inside you, right, her husband possessed, her husband died and he possessed her body and one of the great Kabbalists in Israel performed, and I know you won't believe this is Jewish, because when I found this out when I was a teenager, I was told this is not Jewish, but has anybody heard of the movie The Exorcist? So I was told that there's nothing like that in Judaism well you know what Guess what? There is. No green vomit, okay? None of that kind of Hollywood stuff, right? But yes, there were great rabbis that performed exorcisms, which means they escorted souls and they got them out of this person. Well, where are these possessed people? Some of them, sadly, are in insane asylums. And people don't know what got into them. It's not what got into them. It's who got into them. Now, how do you become vulnerable? Like, don't everyone freak out and think there's a bunch of souls in this room that are looking for a body, right? They're looking for a body that they can identify with, right? So, the way you protect yourself is by being more God conscious, not like these people were, right? So that you protect yourself by being, by possibly being possessed by one of these souls. Now it is also possible that you're not even able to get into Gehenna, and you come back to this world. Just pretty amazing, called reincarnation. Okay. Now don't get me wrong, right? That doesn't mean that David Aaron becomes reincarnated, right? The soul that I'm playing comes back and plays another character, okay? And the character that you'd get would be in some way helping you fix whatever you didn't understand that you needed to fix in in order to live a life that is more connective and loving and God conscious mitzvah torah conscious okay and so there is a case uh, there is actually a lot of research on past lives a very famous story about a boy named James Leiniger uh, who was at two years old screaming plane crash plane crash you can google this Right, And um, turns out that they, the, the parents didn't know what he's talking about. And the kid kept screaming. And at night, he couldn't sleep. He was screaming in the middle of the night, plane crash, plane crash. One day, the father bought this book on uh, World War II. And uh, the boy climbed up on his lap and saw a picture. He said, that's where my plane crashed. And that's the boat it took off from. Father didn't know what the kid is talking about, right? Well, it turns out that the kid started to describe where he crashed, who was flying next to him, the exact name, and they researched this. And this boy, who was maybe three years old, knew all this information, right? And there was a man named James, that was the only pilot that crashed in that area. Gives you goosebumps, right? So, were you here before? Well, honestly, you probably were. And the reason why you came back is you didn't buy my books. Okay? So I'm helping you guys. Do yourself a favor a couple of bucks, it's not worth it listening to me again. Okay? But yes, it's possible that we've been here before. It's possible. Right? So, what happens when we leave this world, right? So you're not going to die, so don't worry, but you are going to drop your body. You are going to be born into a wider, more expansive perception of reality as he, she truly is Hashem. You will see Hashem's face when you die. Will that be a beautiful experience or will that be an incredibly painful experience? Depends how much you're preparing yourself right now. Right. And basically, it's kind of like that game, not at all like that game, you know, let's make a deal. What's behind door number one, door number two, door number three? So behind door number one, Gan Eden. You go straight to Gun Eden. You begin to experience the joy of your mitzvot. And that world, by the way, Gan Eden, is just a stationary. You're just waiting there for what's called trias team the revival of the dead, right? And the reason why you're waiting there is to get that soul rejuvenation, that soul affirmation, so that when you come back to your body, because again, we're not against our bodies. We're coming back to our bodies. But we'll come back to our bodies with the clarity of godliness. And then we'll even bring our body into the full God experience. Because it's something that we can know about God only with our bodies. But right now, sadly enough, our bodies are often getting in the way rather than helping make the way. All right? So in Gan Eden, we're there and we're getting ready for the revival of the dead. And a lot of people find that revival of the dead thing really Freaky, you know, they kind of think that one day, out of a cemetery, uh, out of a not seminary, <laughs> out of a cemetery, right? Suddenly, you know, we're going to see like the the grave open up. We're going to see a hand, <laughs> you know, and people will be, you know, like a Frankenstein kind of look. Now, we don't know what this is all going to look like, but our sages tell us that all the miraculous phenomena that is going to happen in the future is already a hint right now. And where is the hint of Triesametthe, the revival of dead right now, where we will come back to our bodies, and that will prepare us for Olam Bambabwe, where we completely experience there was nothing at all but God. So, the cocoon, a caterpillar, seems to die and creates a coffin around himself. And if God forbid, we were to cut that cocoon in half, what would we see? Would we see a caterpillar putting on makeup, getting ready to be a butterfly? No, we would see what in our eyes is for sure dead. That caterpillar is dead in a coffin. But he's not dead. And all our loved ones that are underground, they're not dead. People ask me, where did you bury your parents? I didn't bury my parents. People think I'm crazy. What, do you mean, what are you, in denial? I didn't bury my parents. I buried their body. I can tell you where their body is, right? And I know where their soul is, right? And they're doing pretty good, very good. So Trias and me team seems crazy, but so would it be if I only knew right? what's really happening, whereby the caterpillar is transitioning to become a butterfly. And death seems to be the end. But imagine you were a seed. You didn't know you were a seed. And someone buries you alive. Could there be more hideous crime than that? What torture, I'm being buried alive. And then they start throwing manure on top of it. And starts throwing water on top of that. And I start to disintegrate. And I am dying. The torture of torture, but what is actually happening? You're not dying. You're dying as a seed, but you're becoming, you're blossoming. You're about to become a sapling, about to become a tree. So, all this is our perceptions, and they're not true. So, you can either go door number one, Gan Eden, get yourself prepared for Triassim 18. Door number two, okay, not ready for Ganadin. We'll go to Gehenim, but it's only a month, or two, three. Not forever, right? Then we go to door number three. right? Door number one is Gan Eden. Door number two is Gehenna. Door number three is you come back to this world. Because there's still stuff that you need to fix. Right? Still stuff that you need to fix. In order to be ready to see the face of God and it be a joyous experience, an ecstatic experience. And then door number four, which is you get trapped here. Right? You're not in a body. You're not out of this world. You start looking for a body. But in our tradition, you are a soul. And you will never die. And this world is a perception. And as much as we experience ourselves in this world, this world is in us. Reality is not in us. Hashem is in us and beyond us. But this world, we actually say that, Bracha. Chaye Olam Natabitochenu. God, you have planted the life of the world within us. Did you know that? That's one of the understandings of understanding a blessing. Where is the life of the world planted? Where is the world growing from? Your mind, your consciousness which you are creating by the kind of mitzvahs and learning and good deeds that you're doing and good words that you're saying and wisdom that you're learning. But the most important thing is to know that you're not going to die. That life is a journey. And that journey is towards greater and greater awareness of Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. That God is one. And there's really none but the one. You are Someone. You are some of that one. And so am I, and so is every other human being. And we're all connected. And therefore, let's live our lives fully and realize that after we leave this world, it's just a beautiful journey. Higher and higher, learning more and more, discovering more and more, feeling more that love, feeling more that connection, finding more that peace and that is the goal of Jewish life. Judaism does not revolve around death. I'm a Kohen, and priests, Kohanim, they don't hang around the dead, right? I mean, the Grateful Dead, yes, but not the dead. And in a lot of other traditions, death is a big theme, and, and, and a lot of their ritual revolves around the dead, but not for us. This is a tradition about life, and even what most people perceive as death it's just another transition into more life. And so we say l'chaim. And so I wish you all a l'chaim and that you should live your life with a mindfulness of the truth of Hashem in your life. And let that truth be your guiding force and what you're thinking about and what you're talking about and what you're doing such so that you're preparing yourself so that that ultimate truth will be a stunning, beautiful Blissful experience. Thank you so much. So now we have time for questions. So please go up to the mic and share with us your stage name, because you're a soul. That's just your stage name. So tell everybody, soul, what's your stage name? My stage name is Moshe. Okay, so two, two questions. Um, so explain how saying Kaddish for someone that's in that state of Gehenna. Um, helps them through that transition.
2: Okay.
0: And 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 just clarify. So anybody that m- it gets into Gehenna, it, automatically it's a road to Gan Eden. There's yeah, no reincarnation. There's no reincarnation from Gehenna. No. Then the so- second question is, um, if if we're all going to wind up winding up in Yerushalayim in our bodies. And there are many of us that have had multiple incarnations.
3: So in which bodies are we going to show up in?
0: Oh, yes. Great question. So let's talk about Kaddish. Very important question. I feel bad that you're all standing, so it's going to take me a couple minutes to talk about Kaddish. But anyways, I had a very interesting experience. Somebody wanted me to meet with a fellow on the east side of Manhattan. He was very unaware of himself as a Jewish person. In fact, he was a famous collector of Christian art. He was one of the most famous collectors of Christian art, and uh, there's paintings there of, 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 of various angles. Of, 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 of You know, it's just like I, I'm not going to go into it. Anyways, so um, he says, "You know, Rabbi, um, I, I don't even know what to say to a rabbi. Like, what do we talk about? I know my friend said I should meet with you, but what, what 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 do people talk about with rabbis, right? So I said, "Well, basically, they ask us questions." I said, oh, okay, and they went, oh, my God, I can't believe you're saying that. Last night, my father came to me in a dream. I haven't seen my father since he died when I was 17 years old. And last night, he came to me in a dream, and he said to me what you just said. I said, Dad, how are you? I haven't seen you. And and he said, son, ask me a question said, ask you a question. Dad, have you seen Manhattan? And he said, sadly, no. I said, oh, well, let me show you around. And I took him to Central Park, and I took him to the zoo, and I took him to Empire State Building. And as the sun was setting, I saw my father look so sad, and I didn't understand why. And we had such a beautiful day in Manhattan. And my father looked at me, he says, is that it? And, my, and I said, well, there's a couple other sites we could see. And my father said... Okay, I have to go now. And as my father left, suddenly I realized what an idiot I am. My father came from the other world and said, ask me a question. And I asked him, have you seen Manhattan? I could ask him all these secrets. And then you show up the next morning, hours after I wake up, and you say, ask me a question. So let me ask you this question. Have you seen Manhattan? No, that's not what he asked me. He says... When my father died I was devastated. We were poor. I had to take care of the family. And they told me I had to say Kaddish. We didn't go to synagogue. We were not religious Jews. But I said anything for my dad. And so I started going to synagogue and saying Kaddish. I had no clue what I was saying. This is a long time ago. There were no English sidurim, which is crazy when you think of it. right? But there were no English prayer books. So I was just saying this Kaddish. So one day, after like three months of this, I thought, maybe it'd be better I understood what I'm saying. I went to the rabbi, and I said, Rabbi, could you explain to me what I'm saying? And as he's translating it, I am getting furious, because I thought this was a prayer for my father's soul, and there was no mention of my father's soul. I'm just praising God the whole time, and I don't want to praise God who took my father. And so I stopped. And so I want to know, why did I have to praise God who took my father? So I said to him, look, you have to understand something. To praise God when things are going good, that's easy. Angels praise God all the time. But when a person goes through a challenge and they can get beyond that and still know that as horrible as this feels, I praise God. I know in the greatest, greatest way God is truly good. And I'll just be patient to see how that good plays out. But that's what it means to say Kaddish, is to praise God, especially you, that don't feel like it. If people got up and did Kaddish when their newborn baby came to this world and praised God, right? People, of course you're praising God. You had a new kid. But to praise God when you have good reasons not to, wow. That will inspire everybody. The Jewish people have been saying Kaddish in front of the whole world. We have not given up on God's goodness when if there's anybody in the world that could easily say, where is God? It's us. And yet we've told the world, where is God? And wherever he is, he's still in our hearts. right? So he said, well, and I said, and that helps your father. You know why? Because when your father is in that other state of mind, that other world perception, the fact that his son would get up and still say, God is great. What a great son. What a great father. And that, because we're all connected, this is actually feeding and enabling the father to ascend in his perception of God's oneness and experience even greater joy. So that's the Kaddish thing. In terms of which body will we come back to, that's a bit of a freaky one. All of them. And it's going to be so hard to get dressed in the morning. (laughs) Like, which which sock? Hey, you took my sock, right? I don't know. Again, these are science fiction things we've never seen. We just don't know what this looks like, right? It's just like we don't know what this looks like. But all those bodies will come back, and um, you know you'll have the greatest time taking your out get, taking yourself out yourselves out for dinner. And which one pays? You you pay? No, you pay. Okay. All right. Yeah,
3: Karen. Uh, Tell your name so uh Karen, thank you. Yep. Uh, a comment and a question, Rabbi Aaron. First, right. a comment. I know you're very busy. This is not working. Uh, I think you're good. Now I'm working. Yeah. Um, I know you're really busy, but if you have a chance to write this up as a book, if you haven't already, it would be tremendously helpful. I was given a number of books when I lost my mother a long time ago, which had a lot of halacha and a lot of nice thoughts, but the depth of this for somebody who's bereaved would be amazing if you could add that to the world in your free time. (laughs) I appreciate that. Well, actually,
0: it is one chapter in my book, Endless Light, but it deserves to be a book, not just a chapter. In addition, I have written an animation about death and mourning, which uh, I've, I've right now found the animator for it. It's gonna take a couple of months, but it's a three minute animation that takes these kind of ideas, or at least the principles behind it, to understand what is really happening when a person dies, and, and just know, nobody's dead. right? Your loved ones are alive and well, and you know when my parents passed away, uh, and I just suddenly had a vision, just hit me one day. I was lying down, and I don't know where it came from. And I saw my mother and my father walking across the beach holding hands. I had never seen my mother and father walking down a beach, you know, holding hands. They worked very, very hard, and they were, you know, I never ever saw that. And suddenly, that vision came to my mind, and I knew that my parents are at peace, and I just hope that I, give them, I continue to give them naches and continue to generate their consciousness of God's oneness.
3: Thank you. And just a quick question then, technical question. What does Torah say about us encountering people we have known who have died in their reincarnated forms? Does that happen? And under Uh, what I'm happy you asked
0: that. So this whole question of, should we start figuring out who we were in our past life? Like I had uh, uh, someone who worked for me as a secretary, and she had a bit of an anger issue. She kind of like would lose her head. And one day I said, you know, you got to work on that. She says, look, I want to tell you something. I apologize, but I've done a lot of past life regression stuff. And in my previous life, I was a Viking. Okay. And my brother cut my head off. So I, I lose my head a lot. She was not joking, right? But she was fired. Now, <laughs> anyways... And in our next life, we'll work again, maybe. But um, so, so I don't encourage people to go into past lives. Like work on this. It's like being an actor in a film, and you're still thinking about the last film. So forget about that. Or so are things happening in this life because of what happened in my last life? Yeah, but that's not what you need to be working on right now. Right? Although the Arizal, Rav Isaac Lurier, he would decide to tell some people what their past lives were. And one day he was sitting with his close circle of students and he said, let me tell you why you're all my students in this life. And began to tell every single one of them their journey. Okay? So it is very possible that we've been here before. Uh, it does say in the times of Mashiach, new souls will come to the world which means these are souls that haven't been here since they were part of Adam and Eve. They're not completely new, but relatively new. So there are some new souls coming into the world in the generation of Mashiach. Um, but um, I don't encourage people to go into the past life.
3: No, no, no. Just to clarify, what I meant was, might I encounter a seven-year-old who is my late mother? Not is it who, possible? Not, not who I was, but people who I've lost.
0: It's possible. Okay. Yes, it's possible, but Thanks. the question is, Should I think that this car was my mother? Because according to Kabbalah, you could actually come back, I'm sorry to tell you, as an animal, as a vegetable. Of course, you'll be a very different animal. You'll be an animal that knows you're an animal, and that's very painful, right? But um, yeah, so to try and figure out was, you know, but these soul connections of people, you meet somebody
2: and you feel like you've known each other for years, you might have known each other for lives. Regarding the last comment you made, um, you said you can come back as an animal. uh, uh, My understanding is once you've uh, become a human being, the only people that would come back as like animals are people that really were evil or really had negative things happen. They acted like animals.
0: And so here, you want to act like an animal? Here, this is what it feels like to be an animal. Right, no, nobody nobody here, anybody that that goes to JLI gets a certificate (laughs) that you are not coming back as an animal. (laughs) You might come back as one of those pancakes, but you will not come back, (laughs) right? One of those blueberry pancakes with the eyes looking at you, right? (laughs) But uh, no, no, we're all guaranteed. Just keep going to your Chabad house and you'll be okay.
2: um, Now, reincarnation, I think, my understanding is it's primarily for Jewish souls because um, Goyim can come back, I understand, if, they, if they've uh, observed the Noahide laws. If, if not, I think I understand they don't come back. And can evil, particularly evil souls, like, say, a Hitler, for instance, that, that can be destroyed by Hashem where they never, never will come back. I, I mean, I, I believe that that's what I've heard. Do you have any? Let's not try and figure out what happened to
0: Hitler. Uh, He's he's definitely suffering big time. Uh, In terms of one of the extraordinary features of Judaism is we don't believe that the world to come is reserved just for Jews. Okay? And we're all heading towards greater and greater consciousness of God's truth, which is the greatest joy to know. And a non-Jewish person that keeps the seven mitzvot b'nai Noach, they have also, this opportunity to get to the Olam Haba consciousness. Okay. All right. Thank all right. You. Yes. Hi. So,
4: what's your stage name?
0: <laughs> Deborah. Yes. Uh,
4: thank you, first of all, for a wonderful uh, workshop. I shared, uh, I think, with you uh, one of the first ones. My husband just passed away yes. four months ago, so this was extremely powerful for me. And it helped me to uh, realize why his last week with me was such a wonderful experience. The actual death experience for me was so positive. I mean, even his last breath was just beautiful. And I think, I didn't know it, but it was the way you explained what happened. So thank you for that. In fact,
0: it's important to understand that prior to the death, more life energy is pouring into the body and that's why the soul leaves the body. This body can't handle this level of consciousness anymore. So it leaves the body. You know, so you have this idea of righteous people dying so young. Mm. And you say, well, what did they do wrong? It's, maybe they did something right. And now it sounds, it's hard for us. But you know, the Arizal of Isaac Lurie di- didn't make it to 40. The Rabbi Nachman didn't make it to 40. Rav Chaim Lazato didn't make it to 40. Were they bad people? No, their level of consciousness of God was so high that this consciousness that had a body could not sustain it anymore, and they leave their body consciousness.
4: And then lastly, I just wanted to share, um, I call it an out-of-body experience. Maybe you could give it its right name. I did have one of those evening. it was an early evening, where I felt like I was standing above, looking down on me, and I did see, my lips were moving, but it was my husband's voice coming out of my mouth, wow. telling me that he used to call me his little girl, that it, that it was okay to cry, little girl, you know, and to get it out. And I, I remember, like, just at that point, um, like those weep I, don't, I won't even call it weeping, because it was those excruciating tears into the pillow, and it was bizarre from up there watching me, my lips move, but hear him say, it's okay, little girl. Keep on crying. Sure. So, is that an out of body? What? What? What did I? Of course.
0: I Look, it's important to understand that although we experience ourselves in our body, the only body we experience is the experience is the body we experience in our minds. So, are we in our bodies or our bodies in us? And the answer is yes. While being in our bodies. Our bodies are also in us, like the dream metaphor, that on one hand, all that time and all that space and all those people were within us, the world we were in was also in us. Thank you. All right, sure. Yes, so what's your stage name?
1: Uh, Roberta. Um, My oldest sister died July 7th, and her son cremated her. And I fought it and fought it, but in her will, she had that was her wish, to be cremated. So, do do I hire someone to do cottage for her? Is it, or
0: sure? I mean, yes. Yes, someone should say cottage for her has nothing to do with cremation.
1: No, sure she should
0: be. I mean, look, what did she know? She had such an incredible Torah education. She, she she didn't know. So, certainly Hashem, so to speak, will not hold that against her because she was completely what we thought referred to as a a baby that was captured by a culture and had no clue that would, would be something wrong. But it's important to understand why cremation in our tradition is not a good thing. Because, the, because, and I didn't mention this, I'm glad you're bringing this up, when a person dies, sorry to freak you out, that person goes to the funeral. That person hears what everybody's saying about them. And that again could be really painful, or really joyful when they start hearing people say thank God they're gone (laughs) right who's getting the fur coat you know and all that kind of stuff And, and and then the soul watches their body being put into the ground and then the soul actually sees the body disintegrating in the ground and all this is an important fixing to allow the soul to disconnect from the physical consciousness that has been filtering out the totality of God's oneness. So this cremation whereby that person, just, they just burnt the body, so that opportunity was not there for her. But since she didn't know, I have no question that Hashem is taking care of her. because She didn't know. She didn't do anything intentionally. But just policy-wise, do whatever you can to encourage somebody not to cremate their beloved and if they need to talk to somebody then I'm happy to talk to anybody to help them understand that from their point of view, you know, it's more ecological, we're gonna burn their body and we're gonna put their ashes you know, in the, in the ocean and all that sounds very poetic and beautiful, but that's not the way to go, right? Well,
1: I, I shared with some of the women, somehow I connected with the rap, she lived in Lake Tahoe and I, I had a f- childhood friend that just happened to live there and he turned the rabbi on to me and he every week brought my sister, my sister was in the hospital for a year, um, matzah ball soup and challah and kugel every week. Wow. And of course my nephew threw him out, but um, before that the rabbi called me and said, you know your sister said hamotzi and I said, Wow, I didn't even know she knew Hamotzi. I thought, maybe Fiddler on the Roof or something. Uh-huh. You know, it was amazing she even did that. Right. And um, so that brought me a lot of okay. comfort. That well, this you m- should
0: have a Nechama. Everyone here should have a Nechama. I'm sorry I have to end right now. But if you're interested in hearing more from from the soul that's playing Rabbi David Aaron, then, uh, in this life anyway, so you can find me on rabbidavidaren.com. I send out a weekly email of my... Articles, podcasts, radio show, animations, videos. So if you go to my website, you can sign up and get a, you know uh, my weekly bite. And I'm happy to sit you know outside and respond to any more questions. I'm sorry to cut this off, but Hashem should all give you chaim tovim, full of bracha and atzlacha, full of success, and you should have Yiddish in your life. Shalom. Thank you. Please visit myjli.com to learn more about JLI's multiple educational offerings and torahcafe.com to view highlights and lectures from past retreats.